listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Three types of fasts that you need to avoid at all costs. You say, I thought you wanted us to fast and pray. I thought God wanted us to fast and pray. God does want us to fast and pray. And as I dealt with yesterday, fasting, biblical fasting, which is why when I wrote this book, the title is not a complete guide to fasting. It's a complete guide to biblical fasting because there's a difference between how I did that on purpose because some people they'll, they'll call all kinds of things fasting that are not fasting. And so when I wrote this, I called it a complete guide to biblical fasting. What does the Bible describe as fasting? And so we're going to cover that today. And I want to show you some things and explain to you why it's a bad idea to get involved in these other things. And so um, three types of fasts that you definitely need to avoid and what the Bible says about fasting. And then, of course, we're going to pray at the end of this broadcast today. And um, just a reminder for those of you that are on, I'll remind you again at the end, tonight uh, being January the 3rd, tonight is a unique night because we won't be live on this platform. Um, We'll be live on Faith TV. And so we'll have that on social, all the ways you can join tonight's live broadcast that's going across all of the United States in almost 14 million homes, um, as well as it'll be aired on the continent of Africa, 85 plus million homes, and in the UK, 18 plus million homes. And so um, tonight we're joining uh, Drs. Andre and Jenny Raybert for um, Faith TV, and uh, I'll get you all the details on social today. So just so you know, that's going to be live beginning at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern tonight, and then I'm doing the same thing toward the end of the fast on the 17th of January, which is another Wednesday night. So those two nights, tonight and the 17th, we're on Faith TV across the nation and uh, across Africa and across Europe. So just a heads up on that. All right, three types of fast you want to avoid. Number one, I want you to put this, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it because it encapsulates multiple things, but I guess the best way you could put it in is partial fasts partial or peripheral fasts. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Partial fasts or things that you choose. So I hear people saying stuff like, you know, during this 21 days, I'm I'm not going to have any sugar. I'm fasting sugar for these 21 days. Or you might hear people say, "Um, I'm fasting carbs for these 21 days, no carbs for 21 days. Okay, or you might hear somebody say, yeah, you know, I'm fasting all media. It's a media fast. I'm not doing any Netflix. I'm not doing any um, Amazon Prime or you know whatever, <laughs> Prime Video. It's I'm doing an all media fast. And then you'll see people jump on just to let everybody know. You'll see on, on social media. Just let everybody know I'm going off social media because I'm doing a social media fast for 21 days. 
social media fast. Now, I'm, I'm, not, just, I'm not mocking. I want, I want to explain this to you. Um, you'll see people say sugar fast, social media fast, media fast, you know, whatever that is. You know, I'm not having coffee for 21 days. Um, no coffee for 21 days. These are peripheral um, fasts. They're partial fasts. And the social media fast is its own thing. You know, media fast is its own thing. Um, and they're treating it like it's Lent. You know, like we're fat. What are you fasting for Lent? It's, it's totally different. That's not biblical fasting. That's not biblical fasting. Now, I'm not mocking that because I will say it's probably a very good idea to limit the time that you spend on social media, to limit the time you spend streaming shows and filling your time with that. Um, and it's not wrong, you know, to remove sugar from your diet. It's not wrong to remove coffee from your diet. No, none of those things are wrong, but that's not fasting. That's not biblical fasting. And I want to say that, um, and, and let me answer this question quickly because it, it's, it's a question I haven't answered yet this year. Lauren Claiborne says in the comments, what's the best way to participate in the 21 days while pregnant? First time not participating in two years and it feels weird. I understand. Don't fast. Don't fast while you're pregnant. The best thing that you can do is just press in in prayer. I would say for those that are pregnant, um, the best thing you could do is remove distractions and spend that time in prayer seeking God. Um, because remember, it's not just fasting, it's fasting and prayer. It's fasting and prayer. So I would encourage you as a pregnant woman to not fast. I put that in our book. You know, don't fa if you're pregnant, don't fast. That baby needs nutrients. That baby needs the resources that you're feeding it. And so eat normally, eat healthy, um, but still press in at least an hour a day in prayer or more. If you have more time, do more. And uh, it is good to remove distractions. And that's what I was saying about this first part. It's not wrong to limit social media. It's not wrong to limit streaming and all those other things. It's good to remove distractions. Uh, but that's not fasting in and of itself. If you've read the book, <clears throat> you'll know that I, I covered what biblical fasting actually is. The Hebrew word, tosom, it actually means to cover the mouth. The root word for that means to cover the mouth, to put your hand over your mouth um, or to close your mouth. It, it literally means my mouth is closed, nothing's going in in that way. And so Everywhere you see in the Bible where people were fasting, they did not eat food, period. Wherever you see fasting in the Bible, they did not eat food. So I want you to write this in the comments today. Biblical fasting is abstaining from food. <clears throat> Put that in. Biblical fasting is abstaining from food. That's the simplest way anyone could understand it. And that's all that it is. That's absolutely all that it is. Biblical fasting is abstaining totally from food. Not some foods, all food. All food. That's what it is. So when we talk about this first type of fast, quote unquote, 
It's people saying, well, you know, I'm not going to have this. I'm cutting this out of my diet. That's just restriction. That's just a diet. That's not fasting. You're still, because I want you to get this in your, in your heart, get this in your spirit. One of the main purposes of fasting is to subdue your flesh. Go with me to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. I want you to see this. This is what I'm talking about. And if, if you'll get this, you'll understand truly one of the main purposes of fasting. Galatians chapter five. I want to read, um, verses 16 and 17 to you. Galatians five verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, why is that? Verse 17 explains why. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, remember something. Paul is speaking here to Christians. He's speaking to Galatian Christians. And he's telling them that your flesh wants to keep you from doing the things you want to do. What are the things they want to do? Well, obviously, as regenerated, renewed people, they want to please the Lord with their lives. They want to please God with their actions. But the flesh wants to rule. Your carnal nature wants to rule so that you can't do the things that you want to do, which is pleasing the Lord with your life, pleasing the Lord with your actions. So because we understand this principle, and I would like you to put it in the comments today if you would, the flesh... The flesh wars against the spirit. Put it in like that. The flesh wars against the spirit. That will be true as long as you are living and breathing. The flesh wars against the spirit. That will be true as long as you are alive. I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years. That will still be true. Your flesh will be at war with your spirit. So much so that the apostle Paul, who God anointed to write uh, about half of the New Testament books, almost half of the New Testament books, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, that he had to put his flesh under on a daily basis so that after having preached to other people, he would not become disqualified. Notice that. Paul said, I have to, on a daily basis, subdue my flesh, put it under. Why? So that after I've preached to other people, I myself won't become disqualified. So Paul's giving us insight into his life. He's saying, My flesh is at war with my spirit. I'm the apostle. I'm the one that's written half of the books of the New Testament, and my flesh is warring 
with my spirit, trying to make me do the things that I don't want to do, he writes in another passage. So he understood it. He was speaking from experience and inspiration from God to the Galatians in Galatians chapter five. No question. He knew. He knows how it works. Your flesh wars against your spirit. And I don't care how long you're saved, that will always be true. So you have to take steps to subdue your flesh. If you're taking notes, write it in your notes. I must actively subdue my flesh. Put it in your notes. That is so important. If you want to please God, I must actively subdue my flesh every day. You can't do it once a month. (laughs) I wish you could. You can't do it once a month. You can't do it once a week. It doesn't happen on Sunday morning at church and then you're good till next Sunday. Every day, I must actively subdue my flesh. There's no question about it. It has to happen. It has to happen. Because your flesh is warring against your spirit. Now, God gave you your, your body. It's not that your body is evil, as they used to believe. You know, there were, there were certain sects of uh, monks and, and different religious groups that had this theology that the body in and of itself is evil and must be punished. That's why... Um, historically, if you look at different situations, like the way monks would conduct themselves, there are things they would do. Um, and that's what asceticism is. If you saw me mention that in the book, extreme asceticism is the, uh, punishment of the flesh. What they would do is anything that the flesh liked or loved, they just said it must be evil. If my flesh loves it, there must be something inherently evil about it. For example, sleep. Well, we love to sleep. We, we don't want to get up from sleep. We love it. But they would conclude, since the flesh loves sleep, there must be something inherently evil about sleep, so we're not going to let you have a, a, sleep, a peaceful sleep through the night. They would ring bells in the middle of the night to have people get out of bed and go. It was a call to prayer so that you couldn't just sleep uninterrupted through the night because there must be something evil about sleep if your body likes it. The same with sex. If there was a vow of celibacy, why? Because it must be evil. If it's enjoyable for the flesh, must be evil. So we're going to, we're going to cut it out entirely, you know, and that's how fasting began to be viewed because, well, my body likes food. So food, eating food must be inherently evil because my flesh likes it. But this is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about punishing your flesh, that your flesh is evil. You know, they would go to, they would go as far as actually harming their flesh to uh, punish it. They would, um, some, it's called self-flagellation. They would whip their own backs with whips. They would do things, even in the robes that they wore. Their robes by themselves were uncomfortable, very, very uncomfortable robes. But they would sometimes, if they felt like they weren't punishing the body enough, they would take metal wire and stick metal wire in their robes so the metal wire was constantly poking and prodding at their flesh. There's some sects uh, that would take something called a salise, and it's just a barbed, it's just barbed metal like chain, and they would strap it around their thigh or strap it around their arm under their robe. 
and tighten it down so that those barbs were digging into their flesh and causing them to bleed. Because they had a, a, a mindset that the flesh itself is evil. That's not, I'm not teaching you that your flesh needs to be punished in that way, but it needs to be subdued. Your flesh can't do whatever it wants to do. You can't just let your flesh fulfill its desires and do what it wants to do because its desires are evil. But notice, uh, though we should, obviously, the, the Bible says we can't be sluggards. <laughs> the, Bible, the Bible teaches us we're not supposed to be just sleeping all day. As Proverbs said, a little folding of the hands to sleep, a little slumber, and poverty will jump on you like an armed robber right? So we're not supposed to be sleeping the day away. We are supposed to be um, pressing in and being diligent and being dedicated to the kingdom. But uh, Paul, he actually lists what the works of the flesh are. He lists those things in this same chapter, Galatians chapter five. And he said, the works of the flesh are evident. They're easy to spot. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warned you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he didn't list food in there. He's not listing sleep in there. You understand? <laughs> so you understand these, these people took it over the deep end and started doing things that the Bible doesn't teach because they thought, no, the flesh is the thing that's evil and must be punished. No, the flesh must be subdued. The flesh must be subdued. That's why one of the fruit of the spirit, which I believe and I've taught for a long time now, which I believe is the most important fruit of the spirit is self-control. Self-control. I believe that's the most important. You say, why do you think that? See, people will push back on this idea because they know that one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that faith, hope, and love will endure forever, and the greatest of these is love. And of course, we know the Bible says God is love. So if love is one of the fruit of the Spirit and it's the greatest of all, how can self-control be greater than love? And the reason self-control is greater than love is because love and walking in love is a choice. It's not automatic. It's a choice. So if walking in love and operating in love is a choice, but your flesh is not in control, then when you should be walking in love towards others, you won't because you've got no self-control. Joy is a choice. Peace is a choice. Gentleness is a choice. Faithfulness is a choice. But if you don't have self-control in place, then you won't make those choices. Anybody can love people that love them back, but how do you love your enemies? How do you bless those that curse you? How do you pray for those that spitefully use you? It's a choice. But if you don't have self-control, then you'll never be able to make that choice to walk in love, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. It's a choice. But self-control, which by the way, it's the Holy Spirit who empowers you to do these things. So what I'm teaching you right now is not some self-help thing. It's not a self-help thing. This is the Holy Spirit empowering you to have self-control. 
And as you do, you can step into the things that please the spirit and not please the flesh. So because we know that the flesh is at war with the spirit, one of the main purposes of biblical fasting is to subdue your flesh, to subdue your flesh. We're here in day two now of the fast and people are feeling it. They're feeling it and you should feel it. You know, people, somebody told me one time, I can't fast because I get too hungry. You will feel hungry. That's part of the uh, purpose to subdue the flesh. I'm not looking for natural food in this moment. I'm looking for spiritual food. Hallelujah. I don't need natural food in this moment. I need spiritual food. Thank you, Jesus. And so this first type of fasting, avoid it. Avoid it. Avoid calling it fasting. It's a cop-out. Well, I'm just removing sugar. No. Fast like the Bible says fast. No, I'm just, I'm not going to be drinking coffee for 21 days. I'm not going to be having, no. <clears throat> Cutting out carbs is not fasting. <laughs> it's dieting. It's called keto. It's not fasting. Do you know, it, you can be on the keto diet and still gain weight. It's not fasting. It is dieting. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you today. Don't go the route you see so many Americans going. Well, I'm just cut. I don't know everybody and how you're doing your fast, but if this is the way you've structured your fast for 2024, cutting out sugar, I'm cutting out that. Don't do that. Do what the Bible says. I'm going to explain it in a minute. Do what the Bible says. All fasting in the Bible was not eating food. All of it. Every person in the Bible that fasted did not eat food. I'll talk about that in a minute. So that's the first one. Social media fast, media fast, sugar fast, coffee fast, carb fast. These are not fasts. They're restrictions. And it's good to remove. Again, let me say it because I don't want you to think that you should fast and then go, you know, blow through four seasons of a show <laughs> to get to pass the time so you can get through the fast. No, you should still limit distractions and seek God's face in prayer and reading his word. Listening to preaching and teaching like you're doing now, all these things, reading other books written by ministers or whatever about the Bible. That's good. That's good. Um, <clears throat> question in the comments. Chassia King says, just out of curiosity, what about liquids? That's what I'm going to deal with. Stick around. I'm dealing with that in just a moment. Dealing with that in just a moment. Um, the second type of fast I say you need to avoid at all costs is what everybody calls the Daniel fast. I know that steps on so many toes. I know so many people get bent out of shape about it. Avoid the Daniel fast at all costs. You say, really? There's so many great people that do it. Avoid it. Avoid it. One of the most important chapters I wrote in this book is called The Danger of the Daniel Fast. The danger of the Daniel fast. You say the danger of the Daniel fast? Yes. And I'm going to explain why. Let me give you a few things about the Daniel fast. And I want you to take notes on this. Very important. Avoid the, just put it in the comments for all those that watch later that'll be freaked out by it. Avoid the Daniel fast. <laughs> put it in the comments. Avoid the Daniel fast. <laughs> put it in the comments. Avoid the Daniel fast as people are jumping on. Say, so why would you say that? Why would you encourage people <clears throat> to, to avoid the Daniel fast? 
I'm getting ready to give you six different reasons right now. Six different reasons from the Bible right now to avoid the Daniel fast. Are you ready? Number one, Daniel, well, first of all, let me define it because some people might be saying, what's the Daniel fast? If you read Daniel chapter one and Daniel chapter 10, that most of the Daniel fast is taken from these two chapters, Daniel chapter one, Daniel chapter 10. If you don't know the story, um, there was a, um, a king that was not a God-fearing king that took over and took all of the men, the young men, and brought them to Babylon uh, to teach them literature and to raise up the best of the best of the best. Of course, you know, four of them that got brought there were Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. And they did not want to engage in the king's diet, which was the king's meat from his table, the king's wine. They said, we don't want to do that. We'll just eat vegetables and we'll drink, you know, water. We don't want the king's wine. We don't want the king's meat. The reason they did that in Daniel chapter one is because most likely because he was not a godly king, um, they were unsure and there was no way to be sure if the meat they were eating had been properly drained of blood and had previously been offered to idols. Both of those things would have made that meat a no-go for any Jewish person. That was a command. Do not eat any meat that has not been properly drained of blood and do not eat any meat that has been previously offered to idols. There was no way to ensure that for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they said, rather than displeasing God accidentally, we'll just not eat it. We'll not eat it. We don't want the king's wine. We don't want the king's meat. We'll eat this diet of vegetables and water pleasing to our God. And at the end of the 10 days of the test, because he's like, we're doing this for three years. We don't want you to look all scraggly compared to all the rest of the guys we brought in. They said, no, test us for 10 days and see what we look like at the end. And at the end, they looked better than everybody else. And so the, the guard who was the steward of the young men said, that's fine. You can do it. And then in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was pressing in for an answer from God. He needed a supernatural answer. And if you go to Daniel chapter 10, what you'll find is that um, at the time when he was waiting to hear this answer from God, the Bible says, and I'll give you the actual uh, reference here, that he ate no pleasant bread, one translation says. No wine, no pleasant bread, no meat. Uh, that, that pleasant bread in different translations, it has different, um, ways it's rendered. It could be tasty foods in one translation. It could be pleasant bread. It could be rich food. Um, there's a, a footnote in the new American standard bread of desirability. So he didn't eat any pleasant bread, no meat, um, or, or any wine, anything like that. It was just vegetables, water. And so, but the thing is, You've got to remember, he did not know how long he'd be waiting for this answer from God. You know, he went 21 days and the answer came on the 24th day, actually. If you read the, the chapter, his answer from God came on the 24th day. You say, all right, so he wasn't planning on fasting for 21 days or doing a Daniel fast for 21 days. He didn't know how long it would be. He had no idea how long it was going to take. He said, I'm going to stay on this diet right here, just like he did in Daniel 1 when it was three years. 
Three years. Let me tell you something. You can't go on only liquids for three years. You can't go on only liquids for a year. If you, if you do, it has to be like ensure drinks that are like meals in a bottle. Because you can't do it. Your body will waste away and you'll be done for. And so um, he didn't know how long he'd be waiting for this answer from God. So number two, that's number one. He didn't know how long he was going to be doing this. But number two, Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 never said he fasted. He never said he fasted. Now, you say, well, what do you mean by that? He never used that term in Daniel chapter 10 at all. And you say, well, maybe that maybe he didn't have to say it. Well, he said it in the previous chapter. If you go back to Daniel chapter 9, listen to what he says in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3. After they found Jeremiah's prophecies and read Jeremiah's prophecies, Look what the Bible says in Daniel 9, 3. Daniel says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So in Daniel chapter 9, one chapter before this happened, Daniel did say he was fasting and he didn't eat vegetables and he didn't eat all that other stuff. No, he just didn't eat just like all of his other uh, Hebrew companions throughout the ages did when they fasted. They didn't eat anything. And then when you get over one chapter later and he's waiting for an answer from God, he goes on this diet, but he never says, I was fasting. Joanne says in the comments, how did Daniel fast become a thing anyway? It became a thing here in the West because it's the thing people somehow caught a glimpse of in scripture and thought, man, I can still eat food while I'm fasting. It's the easiest thing on your flesh. And I'll tell you something funny, which is number three. The way that you know it's not a fast is that if you just Google Daniel fast recipes, you'll get so much stuff will come up. I wrote some of them down here. This, this made me laugh. This really made me laugh. Simply do a Google, fat, uh, Google, a Google search for Daniel fast recipes and you'll get results like this. Quinoa chili. Chickpea curry over a bed of rice, Mexican sweet potatoes with black bean salsa and creamy cilantro sauce, or roasted vegetables over wild rice and a huge dollop of hummus or sour cashew cream. That's not fasting, my friends. Well, it's all vegetables. You know, it's all, it's all from, no, that's not fasting. You can do this Daniel fast diet and gain weight by the end of the 21 days. You can be 25 pounds heavier at the end of 21 days doing the Daniel fast diet. <laughs> Leslie said, okay, now I'm hungry. You just read the recipes. Let me tell you, here's a clue that what you're doing may not be fasting if there are recipes included. <laughs> for recipes, you must have ingredients. And for ingredients, you must have food. <laughs> so... Notice something, Daniel, number one, didn't know how long he was going to fast or, or that wait for an answer. He didn't know how long it was going to take. He had done this diet for three years before when he was prepping himself, and now he was doing it again, waiting for an answer from God. Number two, which is very important, he never said he was fasting. Even Daniel didn't call it the Daniel fast. <laughs> Please put that in the comments. Put that in your notes. Even Daniel didn't call it the Daniel fast. <laughs> hey guys, you can imagine if you wrote it. I'm just going on the Daniel fast. Naming a fast after myself, by the way. 
Even Daniel didn't call it the Daniel fast. Number three, Daniel fast recipes. The question you have to ask yourself, and this is number four, it doesn't crucify the flesh. The very thing that we talked about, one of the main purposes of fasting is to subdue the flesh. Do you realize by eating, now you could be technically keeping the Daniel fast, no question. All those recipes that I just read to you, you could eat those meals and still be faithfully keeping the Daniel fast. The question is, will your flesh be crucified? Will your flesh be subdued? Will your flesh be subdued? And Justin, I'm going to answer the question. Someone else asked the question about liquids. I'm going to answer that in just a moment. So don't worry. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Um, but Daniel, he understood when he was fasting in mourning after reading Jeremiah's prophecies, he was doing what all the other Hebrews had always done, what everybody did through the New Testament as well. When they fasted, they didn't eat. The question is, does the Daniel fast subdue the flesh? The answer to that is no. Because if you're continuing to give your flesh what makes it strong, calories, calories, don't tell me you're going to eat cashew, sour cream, and hummus and not have strength in your body. You're going to have roasted vegetables over wild rice and hummus and sour cream. You're going to have plenty of strength. You're going to have plenty of strength. Your calories packed in and your flesh remains strong. The whole point of fasting, one of the points, is to subdue the flesh, to weaken the flesh, to get it out of the way, to let the spirit step forward and take precedence in your life. And so recognize that it doesn't crucify the flesh in the same way. Grace said, is the Daniel fast okay for people that are taking medications, pregnant or elderly, and they're waiting to fast? No, no. People that are pregnant should not fast at all. They should eat. They should eat and pray. The elderly should eat and pray. Now, if you feel, if you're elderly and you feel like you can still fast, fast, fast. Kids should not fast. Elderly people should not fast. Pregnant people should not fast. People that take medication, you're going to have to deal with that on your own. The Bible says one of the benefits of fasting is that your healing or your health will spring forth speedily. I believe God will heal you as you're fasting, but you have to make up your mind. We have people in our church that um, are on medication for different things, blood pressure, diabetes. And as they're fasting, they're noticing that their sugar levels are regulating, that their neuropathy is going away. So I'm not a doctor. I don't give medical advice, but you have to do that between you and God. You have to do that on your own for those that are taking medications that have to be taken with food. I understand all that. But children should not be fasting. They need to develop. Elderly people are exempt, 70 and older. And then uh, pregnant women should not be fasting for any reason. Eat your food. Eat the nutrition. Get it to the baby. So the flesh has to be crucified. Number five, here's an interesting thing. If the Daniel fast is an actual fast that, God's, that God approves of, why was it never replicated any other place in the Bible? <laughs> That's good, Brian. Brian said the Lord put the lions on a Daniel fast and they abstained from eating Daniel. <laughs> That's good. Very good. Um, think about that. Why, why did no other person in the Bible replicate this Daniel fast when they fasted? They didn't do it. 
Nobody in the Old Testament, nobody in the New Testament after Daniel redid the same thing Daniel did and called it a fast. It's because it wasn't a fast. And Daniel knew it wasn't a fast. Daniel knew it wasn't a fast. Praise God. Praise God, Beverly. So understand that. It was never replicated. That should be a sign to you that this is not something God gave to his people to seek his face. It's not, the, it's not a fast. And Daniel knew it. Then some people will say, as this question just came, and I want to address this, some people will say, well, isn't the Daniel fast then a good way for people that have never fasted to kind of get their feet wet and get started with fasting? Isn't it a good beginner step? The answer to that is no. And the reason I say no is because if it's not fasting, then why would you do it? You say, well, it's a good way to get started. Why don't you just use one of the other types of fasts in the Bible as far as lengths to get started? Wouldn't you be appalled if I said to you, well, these people are, these people are just getting saved. So, you know, we're recommending that they live holy like 60% of the time, you know, until they get their feet wet in Christianity and they can truly live holy like 100% of the time. We want them to just live holy, you know, when you're a baby Christian, maybe about 50, 60% of the time. And then as you get more familiar with Christianity, no, no, God calls baby Christians and mature Christians to the same level of holiness, to the same level of dedication to the kingdom. I know people are growing and everything, but God calls you to the same standard. The same is true with fasting and prayer. Is it, Why would you do something that was never replicated in the Bible? Why would you do something that was never called fasting in the Bible and call it a fast? If you're going to fast and you say, well, I'm a beginner. I don't know if I can go the whole 21 days. You know what we're encouraging people to do? Because it's in the Bible. Fast from sunup to sundown. We call it the 6 to 6 fast. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Don't eat anything. Drink water from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Maybe have a black coffee, whatever you whatever you want to drink. And then at 6, have, have one meal, finish your day with a dinner after 6, and start again the next day. That's something in the Bible, multiple places in the Bible. Book of Judges, other places. They fasted from sunup to sundown. That's a biblical fast. Not eating anything from sunup to sundown. There's a 24-hour fast in the Bible that people fasted for a full 24 hours, and then they ate. There's a three-day fast in the Bible where people fasted three days consecutively and then they ate. Seven days, 14 days, 40 days. But if you're just getting started, why not do actual fasting for just a shorter period of time as you're getting acclimated to this life of fasting and prayer? Right? So maybe start with the six to six. Listen, I understand there's other people, they're working construction, they're exerting themselves, they're doing manual labor. And they need some strength. Do six to six. Do six to six. It'll crucify your flesh. Trust me. I was getting my phone blown up yesterday with text messages from people that are like, I'm almost to six o'clock. Pray for me. I need a breakthrough to get to six. You know why? It crucifies your flesh. Most people aren't used to fasting. It actually is funny to me now because I'll watch these YouTube channels of these like health guys and they talk about how powerful like intermittent fasting is. And uh, people like, you, you see people's testimonials online. They're like how much they're struggling with intermittent fasting. And it's like intermittent fasting for them is like, we don't eat until like 12 noon or one o'clock. And people are like, oh man, I was struggling, but I was able to start intermittent fasting and not eating anything till one o'clock. It's like, dude, try going 21 days with no food. <laughs> and then, then you'll know what fasting's like. So six to six, you can do it. 
You can absolutely do it. And um, to answer that question that was in the comments, you know, if you're an elderly person that maybe wants to do that, maybe break up your, your day that way, six to six, and then, you know, whatever you need to do. But I, I totally agree with what Tammy's saying in the comments, though. In many ways, eating nothing is easier than a six to six fast every day. The reason for that is because um, at some point, usually by about the fourth day or the fifth day of your fast, total fast, the hunger stops hitting you in the head like it does on the first three days. And usually after about day four or day five, I get to the place where it's like, okay, you know, I could go 40 days, I could go 100 days, whatever, because it's not like I'm sitting there, oh man, I need a meal. And, and when you eat six to six and then eat at six, the hunger just never leaves. Every day, you're hungry from six to six, hungry from six to six. So that's kind of what she's talking about. It becomes easier to do a total fast. If you've done it, you know what I'm talking about. So, um, yeah, that's it. And, and Willie's saying in the comments there, and he's obviously a tradesman, he's working, he's doing manual labor and uh, doing that six to six, sun up to sundown. And uh, it works, it works, and it crucifies the flesh. It totally crucifies the flesh. Um, it was never replicated. And so I encourage people, if you're getting your feet wet, start with the six to six and watch what God will do in your life because it's in the Bible. It's absolutely in the Bible, multiple places. And uh, I heard somebody make fun of it one time and they were like, oh, you know, you guys doing that six to six fast, doing that Muslim fast, like, you know, like Muslims would do during, during Ramadan, you know, sun up to sundown. You know, let me tell you something. Uh, God's people in the Bible were, were doing six to six fasting before there ever was Islam. <laughs> Islam was not even a thing and God's people were doing six to six fast. So don't come in here with the, you're doing the Muslim fast. You don't know what you're talking about. Read the Bible. It's in the book of Judges. That was tons of time before Islam was ever established. And so, no, this is something that God's people did. This is something that God's people did and God approved of it. So it's in the Bible. And so avoid the Daniel fast at all costs. The final fast, number three, before we pray, uh, I want to address the liquids question and I want to say this third type of fasting. The third type of fasting is what you may have heard called dry fasting. Dry fasting. That's when you not only don't eat food, you don't drink anything. No water even. It's called dry fasting. I would tell you with all my heart to avoid that type of fasting. Don't, unless, let me just say it this way because I'm not the Holy Spirit. Unless there's some reason that the Holy Spirit has led you and has commanded you and told you, and I mean you better feel a strong leading from the Holy Ghost, that you need to give up all food and all liquid and for three days, and I'm going to tell you something, if you ever do that, do not ever go longer than three days, ever. You say, well, why? It's the same reason that I would tell people, if you're fasting, don't ever go longer than 40 days. You say, why would you tell me not to? What if the Holy Spirit, even Jesus never did longer than 40 days. Why are you trying to outdo Jesus with your fasting? Jesus, the son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, the savior, the Lord, the king of kings only did 40 days. Why are you trying to do 60 days of fasting? Why are you trying to do 50 days of fasting? Jesus never even did that, and he redeemed all of mankind. So, so chill out with the 50 days and the 60 days. Jesus did 40. Now, 
It's a different story if you're doing like what Pastor Adeboye led his church to do a few years ago, which was 100 days of fasting, but they, they were doing six to six every day. They were eating meals every night. So that's not a total fast. You're not fasting for 100 days with no food. They're eating every single night. But Jesus went without food for 40 days. Elijah went without food for 40 days. Moses went without food for 40 days. Uh, Aaron went without food for 40 days. So, because he was with Moses. But two of those were supernatural. Remember that. When Moses fasted, he was in the direct presence of God. I mean, if, you, if God's right there with you to the point that when you leave the room, your face is shining so bright that it freaks people out and they beg you to put a veil over your face, that's a different story. <laughs> it's like Moses came down off the mountain and was shining like the sun and it freaked everybody out. Why? He was standing in the direct presence of God. I wouldn't be hungry either if God was standing right here. I'd stay there for 40 days and stand right in front of God. M Elijah... An angel made him a meal, two meals, and he ate, and then he ate again a heavenly meal that carried him for 40 days. So I don't consider either of those actual fasts, but Jesus's was because Jesus, the Bible says, after he fasted, he was very hungry. He was very hungry. Doesn't say that about Moses, doesn't say that about Elijah, but Jesus actually fasted and became very hungry by the end. Somebody asked in the comments, did Jesus dry fast? No, the Bible doesn't say he abstained from uh, water, just said he abstained from food. He didn't eat any food for 40 days. <laughs> Tammy said, speaking of standing face to face, our breath is impacted when we do a, a, a long fast. Yes, it's true. Uh, just a tip, if you're fasting for an extended period of time, get some mints and some gum. If people start falling out in front of you, you're not Benny Hinn. You just have very ha bad breath. So let me encourage you. Do not, unless the Holy Ghost tells you to do it, do not do a dry fast. Do not avoid liquids while you're fasting. Do not avoid liquids. Now, there's a place here in the Bible we see this, and this is the book of Esther. For three days, they did a dry fast. No food and no water, no food and no water. Esther chapter four and verse 16, Esther told, told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Esther 4, 16. Hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink. But remember something about this passage. The entire Jewish, Jewish race was facing extinction. They were going to kill all the Jews. This was life or death for a race of people. And they called for no eating, no drinking for three days. We're not going to be eradicated from the earth as a race of people. It was life or death. That's why I'm telling you, unless the Holy Spirit, for some very serious reason, tells you to do dry fasting, then keep your liquids. Don't eat food. Let me tell you, not eating food alone is plenty to subdue your flesh. Most of you, if you're doing the total fast, you're going to get to the end of 21 days and you're going to be 
anywhere from 15 to 25 pounds lighter than when you started. Don't tell me that doesn't subdue the flesh when you finish 21 days of fasting and you've lost 25, 21, 20 pounds, 15 pounds in 21 days. Don't tell me that's not subduing your flesh. It absolutely is. And it's plenty. It's plenty. Now, to answer the question that I have to answer every year, what kind of liquids should I drink? Let me talk about it. Um, anything that you don't have to chew is pretty good. So I don't give up coffee. I have a coffee right here. I'm drinking coffee. I drink coffee all the way through the fast. One thing that will start happening to me at a certain point, maybe about 10 days in, is that coffee doesn't taste good to me anymore. Sometimes that happens maybe 15 days in, and I just don't want it anymore. But as soon as the fast is over, I want it again. But um, I drink coffee as much as I want it. You know, I usually have one a day, and it's this one, and I drink coffee. 16 ounces of coffee. Um, juices, you know, broth. Somebody said, I, I didn't know about, about uh, if I should have broth because, you know, it had 35 calories in it. Let me tell you something. Your bo my body... Just without exercise, without even moving, my resting calorie burn is like 3,500 calories a day. And I know I'm a big guy, but most people, it's an average of 1,800 to 2,000 or 2,500 calories a day, your resting rate. So 35 calories as you drink the broth is going to be okay. My wife drinks bone broth. Um, some of the girls, I think Jenna and Tiffany drink bone broth. I don't like it. I don't like the taste of it. I don't want it. Stop offering it to me. I don't want it. I'm not trying it. I don't want it. Keep it away from me. It's it's bitter and sour. I don't like it. Um, but some people like bone broth. Um, but I, I don't drink bone broth. I don't not because it's it's not good for the fast. I don't like it. Um, broth is fine. If you're gonna have chicken broth or whatever, that's fine. That's fine. Juice is fine. Um, you know, if you want to have a little milk, that's fine. Coffee, you know, whatever. I wouldn't be pounding, you know, like Coca-Cola's. You know, I wouldn't go through like two cases of Coca-Cola just because it's terrible for, for you to go through like two cases of Coca-Cola. You know, and, and I would, I would kind of, I will say this. I would kind of uh, look at, I wouldn't pound sugar during the fast. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going, um, let, let me just give you something here. Just keep, if you keep this in mind, it gives you your own good parameters. Yes, I love Zevia. Kimberly, I'll drink Zevia through the whole fast. I like Zevia a lot. Um, if you keep this in mind, it'll give you a good parameter through the whole fast. Um, the whole purpose uh, of what I'm talking about in this portion is subdue the flesh. Subdue the flesh. If you're going, um, for example, to Starbucks and getting like a, a, a venti, White chocolate mocha. What what is that, Tiff? Can you look that up? Can can you look up the the calories and the sugar grams on a on a venti white chocolate mocha? It's diabetes in a cup. Your foot should be black after you're done drinking that. Tyra says, "What about protein shakes?" I usually stay away from meal replacements, um, like Ensure or, um, and unless I'm doing like an extended revival where I'm preaching like every day, twice a day hard, I may drink like a naked juice, you know, those naked juices. I may, may have one of those if I'm preaching real hard. But if we're just doing what we're doing like this every day, 
I'm fine with coffee and, and some and some uh, juice or whatever. Did you find it? Yeah, 530, but that's easy. That's on a, a venti white chocolate mocha? Yeah. And then uh, how many grams of sugar in that? Oh, I'm sure Oh, yeah. So, like, she says about, it's over five. Mike, Mike Laval says 1,200 calories. Okay, Starbucks is saying it's about 530. And then how many grams of sugar? 67 grams of sugar. 67 grams of sugar in a, in a venti white chocolate mocha. So understand what I'm saying. People going down pounding two of those a day, that's half of your daily calor, caloric intake for when you're eating food. That's a thousand, it's a thousand and six, almost 1100 calories a day in just two coffees, coffees from Starbucks. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I, yeah, limit the frappuccino. Don't, don't do that. It's packed with sugar. It's not good for you anyway. It's not good for you anyway. Um, I'll tell you. Yeah, it's, there's no way. I agree with Jamila. There's no way the calories are that low on a venti white chocolate mocha. There's no way. But whatever. That's what Starbucks says. One thing I did switch to, and I'll, I'll tell you this. You may not like it, but when I was doing keto a lot, I switched to this. And it's good. It's, and it's, it's better for you. Um, I started putting in my coffee, if you don't drink black coffee and you need some sweetener, don't do the bottled sweeteners, uh, all that junk, like the, what do they call those things? Like the sweetened creamers and all that. Don't, don't do all that stuff. Don't do sweet and low. Don't do equal. Don't do Splenda. Yeah, yeah. I put, I put Stevia, all natural, raw Stevia in my coffee. You give me a, um, a close-up. I don't know if they'll see this. Of all this, I will say this, of all the stevias I've tried, this is the very best one. I don't know if you can see it. This is, this is made by a company called Pure, P-Y-U-R-E. This is Pure Stevia. They sell this, they sell this at Walmart. Walmart has this brand. It's the purple brand. You can get it in packets like I buy it. You can buy it in a big box of packets. I don't recommend that you get the liquid version because it's hard to gauge how much you put into your stuff. But this, if you don't know what stevia is, this all-natural sweetener, I will tell you that this has no impact on, your, on the glycemic index. So if you are somebody that's battling with diabetes or other things, this has no impact on the glycemic index. You can have this. I put three of these into 16 ounces of coffee uh, every morning and... I, I like the taste of this. I like the way this brand tastes. They're not sponsoring this video, YouTube, but I, I wish they would. I like pure Stevia. And it's, you know, they've not found anything, and they've been researching Stevia for a while. They've not found anything negative. You know, it's not going to rot the frontal lobe of your brain like sweet and low and equal and Splenda. So stay away from sucralose. Stay away from all that stuff that takes away all of your memory. Um... Yeah, Lisa said 67 grams of sugar is a little over a one-third cup of sugar. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. Yeah, Jack says, if what you eat and drink nourishes the body, it's not fasting, right? Yeah, so don't go in there and start pounding, uh, you know, the all these heavy-duty mochas and frappuccinos and, and stuff. You know, some juice is fine. Coffee's fine. Tea is fine. Broth is fine. Water's fine. Yes. Um, some people like monk fruit. I think Tiff, you prefer monk fruit, right? If you, you don't like any of it. 
Tiff drinks coffee black. Um, but I can't do that. I can't drink the coffee black. Uh, some of you do. God bless you. You'll have a special mansion in heaven on the black coffee side of town. Um, um, erythritol is a, is a sugar alcohol. Correct? It's a sugar alcohol, which, which actually offsets. It has no dietary uh, impact whatsoever. Sugar alcohols offset just like fiber does uh, sugars and carbs. So some people like monk fruit. I like stevia, but it's bad. Don't pound sugar into your body all day long during the fast. It's a, it's bad. It's bad anyway. They, you know, I will say this and I wasn't going to get into the, these cause we're going to pray, but I will say this at the very end, you know, the stuff that they haven't been telling us about sugar for a long time, they've pushed sugar, they've pushed sugar. And like, you remember in the 80s and the 90s, they started going, everything was low fat. You know, get this low fat this and low fat that. And what they didn't tell you, they had to take the fat out so they had to still make it taste good. So they packed it with sugar. And so, uh, you know, sugar is one of the main problems in our nation. It's one of the main problems, if not the main problem. I mean that. It's the main problem. Refined sugar is killing everyone. It's killing people. Heart disease, obesity, diabetes, it's killing people. And people are pounding it. It's a stronger, here's what will blow your mind. It's a stronger drug than cocaine. They found that. You know what's crazy? They discovered this. They were doing these tests in the laboratory with, with rats. They would already addict the rats to cocaine. And they'd put them in a cage with two feeding tubes. And the one feeding tube would give addicted rats cocaine water and the other would give the rats sugar water. And do you know that I think it was like within a week, all of the rats that were already addicted to cocaine had fully switched over to sugar water every time they hit the, hit the feeding tube. It switched them off of cocaine and onto refined sugar. Refined sugar is a stronger drug than cocaine. It's a stronger drug and people can't get off of it. They're addicted. They're addicted to, to sugar. They can't stop. They can't stop. It's so addictive and companies know it and they pack it into the food and drinks. And so I'm telling you to avoid it. I'll give you this story and then we're going to pray. Brother Kenneth Hagin told us this when he was in Bible school, or when I was in Bible school. He said when he was younger, he worked construction. And when he was coming back from the construction site every day, he would pass back then, which was like a pharmacy. And you know, pharmacies used to have the place where you could get a, uh, you know, they had cold soft drinks on tap and all that. And he would go in, he said, because this pharmacy served Coca-Cola and he loved a cold Coca-Cola after working construction. And he'd go in and sit down and get himself a cold Coca-Cola. And he said, he noticed that as he'd passed that pharmacy, very often he'd go inside and get himself a Coca-Cola. He said, it got to the place in his life where he could not pass that pharmacy without going in and getting a Coca-Cola. And every time he passed it, he had to go in and get a Coke. And he realized Coca-Cola ruled his life. He told us this in Bible school. He said, I realized Coca-Cola ruled my life. I was a slave to Coca-Cola because I couldn't even walk past that pharmacy without going in to get one. And he said, when I realized that, he said, I made up my mind, I will never 
drink another Coca-Cola for the rest of my life. He said, because I refuse to be ruled by anything except the Holy Spirit. I refuse to be ruled by anything except the Holy Spirit. And so he didn't drink another Coca-Cola for the rest of his life. Why? Just to prove that point to himself. I refuse to let anything, anything rule me. And sugar, hear what I'm saying. Refined sugar is ruling Americans right now. We're one of the only countries in the world that has obese children. Obese children. Morbidly obese children. It's because of this. And it's, it's not pleasing to the Lord. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I know, I know there are things that you do. I'm not saying every single person has to be, you have to go all organic. You have to throw everything out of your house that's processed. I'm not saying that. You have to get wild with it. But what I am telling you is, remember that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there are things you can do. I wrote in this book because I, I include the physical benefits of fasting that have been discovered by MIT, Harvard, one of the things that I read, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who's a long life specialist, she, she gave this info. She said 50% of the people that are in hospitals being treated right now, are they have something called metabolic syndrome, which is a combination of type 2 diabetes, high triglycerides, high blood pressure, and a few other things. And they said it's, she said it's something that can be literally controlled without medication simply by changing your diet and becoming disciplined, not putting in your body the wrong things. But our country doesn't do it. We'd rather have pills than, they, than we would self-control. And so part of what fasting will do for you is detox you from these things that seem to rule and control people's lives. So that's why I'm, I'm begging you, don't go through the fast pounding sugar into your body. Don't do it. Hey, Raquel, it's so good to see you. I love you and Curtis. I haven't seen you forever, but I love you a lot. We're going to pray here at the end of this uh, broadcast. And again, I'm encouraging you to get into at least an hour of prayer a day. We're praying in the morning, praying at night, but I want you to press in. I want you to seek God's face. As I said last night, write those things down that you're believing for and be specific about them. Don't be vague in your prayer. Be specific about what you're believing God for. And watch what God will do. Let's begin to pray together. Come on. Roshte braba rekiata toshte kimianda. Rodo rebiche vrabando rakite brazdo rakati kemai. Rojde zibroda rakate brabosti. Rembendia koshe bradola kista nekeli. Rebo rakamasta kalede brodiche kipa mai. Randoria kasta la keli. Rodoshta kanda ne brabondo rekatimi. Rebasta kalade nej diavobo rakati kemayo. Remando roduche kibra banda la kevre veli. Rokoshte kididiste. Maronde kiabara koshoto rakali adosta kibra bota de bramai. Rekos di ke shitamama. Rakile gusho koro di bramada de kakishe keli ado. Mavrebes di koroshe kamatala. Rebando rokosti kadala de nesti andai. Brebosha katalebesti ki. Mavro dagi de bosha kare de mamasta kibra bokatemi. Rebe rikisho kora babasta kanaye. Rotolo rabaza keli atama Pangite bravasto tosheli Marando locoria mai Rebebesho korama Takite rebala donoshdi kibrosa mamaka 
Pebrov rabase li debrodigi, romondo racale desti che ridiaba, parotoste chi didiando dosta mavra vada deca chi, bejo roco si baderi andor macatebra bastanai, lebro tasta, calebro toshe mala chi proposta nami, rebendia co roco she chidi, rebo racama site mada doshe chi. Father, we come today into your presence and we thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercies over our lives. We thank you for your loving kindness that's steadfast, that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, though we were dead in trespasses and in sins, you raised us up together and seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, we thank you that today we are seated with Christ in a place of authority. We thank you that we're not here on the earth begging for help. We're not victims. We are victorious because of what Jesus did by his own precious blood. And so today, Lord, I'm asking you by the power of your spirit to give us a new and fresh revelation of your word in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you show us things we've never seen before by the power of your spirit. Lord, I'm asking you to do something in our spirits that has not been done before. Let us have a supernatural understanding of your written word. And as we understand it, and as we get a greater revelation, let us fly at a different level in 2024. Your word declares that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that this word and this revelation of your word will put us on a new level of freedom will run in a new level of freedom throughout all of 2024 in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I thank you right now that we will see by the eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we'll have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. And as we have that spirit of wisdom and revelation, we will begin to open up insight. The Holy Spirit will begin to speak to us as we read this precious word. And as we read it, it will go into our spirit like a fresh substance, like a fresh joy. We thank you, Lord, that your word is nutrition to our spirit. We thank you that you said in the book of Ephesians that you wash the body of Christ and keep us cleansed by the washing of water by the word, the washing of water. And so today, I thank you that your word is washing us. It's a supernatural water that is washing us. Hallelujah. It washes away every wicked thing that the devil would try to plant in our minds, that thoughts that he would try to plant in our spirits. Your word washes away every wicked thing. And we give you praise for that. We give you glory for that. Your word declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that your word is also milk for those that are new to the body of Christ, those that are babies in Christ, those that are still immature in Christ. Paul said, I had to give you the milk of the word. And so, Lord, I thank you for every new soul that's been added to the kingdom this year. I thank you that they're receiving the milk of your word, that they're being nourished, that they're being strengthened, that they are growing, hallelujah, in the faith. I thank you that they are maturing in the faith as they receive the milk 
of your word. Hallelujah. Today, we give you praise that they'll see quick maturity, quick maturity. They'll go from babies to sons in in the gospel, and they'll begin to perform the things that you have called them to do and see manifestations of your power and your glory and your presence. Let the milk of your word mature them supernaturally in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you that your word also declares it is meat, the meat of God's word. Paul said, I wanted to give you the meat, but I had to give you the milk. And so, Lord, I thank you for those of us that need fresh nourishment today, that your word is meat to us. It is a sustaining force to us. And today we receive the meat of God's word. We thank you that we are nourished spiritually, that we're strengthened spiritually from the meat of God's word, the strong meat, that we're not offended by your word, that we receive it and we receive correction from your word in Jesus' name. We receive guidance from your word by the power of the Holy Ghost. We receive it by the uh, by the spirit of humility and meekness that you've placed upon us. We'll never be proud. We'll never be arrogant. We'll never be haughty because your word declares that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we, we cast out all pride. We cast out all arrogance, all haughtiness. It has to leave us for good in Jesus' name. Meekness is ours. We declare humility is ours in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for that. And so we receive correction from the meat of God's word. We receive guidance and direction from the meat of God's word. Jesus declared that he was the bread that has come down from heaven and he is the word made flesh. And so Lord, today we thank you. We receive the bread of your word. It's not just water. It's not just milk. It's not just meat, but the bread of the word. Today we receive the bread of the word. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, every word in this book, it didn't come from some man's will, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It came from your mouth. All scripture is breathed out by God. And so today we thank you that the bread of your word is coming to us. We live not by natural bread, but by every word, the bread of heaven that fills our spirits today. Let this word fill our spirit today. Let the strength of this word come upon us today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that your word is not just water. Your word is not just milk. Your word is not just bread. Your word is not just meat, but your word is also honey. It says in the book of Proverbs that when it came, it was sweet to the taste like honey. We thank you that your word is refreshing to us. It's refreshing to us. We receive today the honey, the sweetness of the word. It's a refreshing. Lord, I pray Every person watching this and every person listening to me, whether live or on the replay, would receive a refreshing from your word today in the name of Jesus. If they felt tired, if they felt worn out, if they were beginning to grow weary and well-doing, let them receive refreshing from the honey of your word today in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We receive refreshing. 
Hallelujah. We receive refreshing today as we dive into your word again. I thank you that our spirits receive a new refreshing, a new strength, a new excitement to accomplish the work that we've been called to do in the name of Jesus Christ. The honey of God's word belongs to us. And finally, finally, we thank you that your word is like wine, the Bible says. Your word is like wine. And so today, intoxicate us with your word. Let us gain the kind of boldness. Let us become drunk by the Spirit. Let us become intoxicated with the mighty word of God that places within us a boldness that cannot be explained, that we step out and begin to do what we've never done before, that we begin to say what we've never said before because we're intoxicated with the mighty word of God. Hallelujah. Let the wine of your word, the new wine of the spirit and the word fill us to overflowing. Let it fill us to overflowing. Your word says, and John the Baptist declared that when Jesus came, and you have, you've already come, Lord, that you would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. With the Holy Ghost and with fire. We thank you, Lord, that we receive the Holy Ghost, and the fire is representative of your word. We are baptized in the Holy Ghost, baptized in your word, because your word declares our God is a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, your word is very clear. Our God is a consuming fire. But we also know that God is the word. And because God is the word, we thank you that the word is fire. And so today we are baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we receive the fire of your word today in Jesus' name. I ask you. Let your word burn out every wicked thing that the devil sent to destroy your people. Let it burn up the chaff, anything that does not belong, anything that is an impediment, anything that is an obstacle. Let your word burn up every wicked thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for that. I give you praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. And we declare we're going to see great things take place in 2024. Now we ask you, Lord, to do the impossible in this new year. Do the impossible. We receive the word. We're standing under open heavens in 2024. Standing under open heavens in 2024. And as a result, we will see open heaven style blessing. Open heaven style favor. We thank you that you're opening heaven to bring judgment upon the wicked, that every wicked force that stands against the church will be destroyed. Every wicked thing and plan and plot of the enemy that has been launched against the people of God and against the church will be swept out of the way by your mighty hand, Lord. I pray you move your mighty right hand on our behalf in 2024 and do something that only you can do so that you get all the glory for what takes place in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. 
We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Now let's begin to thank him for what's about to happen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done, but now we thank you and praise you for what you're about to do. Hallelujah. What you're about to do in us. I give you honor. I give you glory that we will see supernatural things. Our families will be turned around. Our loved ones will be saved. Sicknesses have to go. I pray this year will be a year of breakthroughs and turnarounds in Jesus' name. We thank you. We magnify you. Your name is great and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' wonderful name, we say it. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.